Can you remember how you were teaching me um, how to pray? Mm -hmm. Can you give me one mini lesson, one last mini lesson? See if I've mastered it. Daddy can help. No. If, if, no, if no. Daddy will help, if you need help, how about that? Because you no, wrote it down for me and everything on a paper. No, she did. did. So I could mommy practice. Did. Mommy did. Okay. You said it, and she wrote so it. Daddy, can we you... just say it together? Sure. Abuna, kana, barachana, shimesus Christos. Amen. You know how to say it in Amharic? No. <laughs> Let me teach you. Come sit down first. Let me show you. Okay, so we said the Tigrinya one was Abona, Zahabkana, Barachana, Sushim Yesus Christos. Amen. And in Amharic we say Abatachin, Yesatanin, Barakalin, Amen. Amen. And when we were kids, the Amharic one was easier to sing. Yes. Or was seen like a little more sonic. So we'd say that. Well. I think the Ethiopian, the Ethiopian, the Greenier one is more easier. Oh, that's because you know it. Salam, salam, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Uproot. Well, as you just heard, today we are going to be talking about Eritrea and Ethiopia. And this episode hits directly to my heart. And I'm glad you tuned in because I hope that you, like me, will come away having learned something new about the neighboring country, our cousin country of Eritrea. By now, all of you know that in October, Dr. Abiy Ahmed, the Prime Minister of Ethiopia, won the Nobel Peace Prize. In the awarding the prize, the committee talked about the contributions that he's made to the country, and most importantly, to ending the border war with Eritrea. All of us celebrated this incredibly historic moment. But the moment didn't come without some pause and consideration of what it would feel like to be an Eritrean hearing this news. That conversation started with my friend Mogus, and he has been gracious enough to extend it today into an entire podcast episode to help me and to hopefully help you think about, understand, and kind of process all of the complexity around being Eritrean and being Ethiopian, our shared history, and hopefully our shared future. So welcome to this conversation on Uproot with my dear friend, Mogus. So this afternoon, I am sitting with my good friend, Mogus. It is a Friday afternoon in Nairobi. We've just brewed a very strong cup of coffee, or correction, Mogus has Thank you. brewed Thank a you very for strong cup of coffee, good, uh, you know, Ethiopian Eritrean coffee for us to enjoy in this conversation. And... For those of you who are listening to this conversation and perhaps tuned in because either A, you know a lot about Ethiopia and Eritrea and you're curious to see our point of view, or perhaps B, you know very little and you want to learn, or perhaps C, you um, want to understand more deeply because you identify as Eritrean or Ethiopian or both and you've lived with the tension that maybe you haven't been able to reconcile with just the mere facts of our shared history. Wherever you fall in this camp, whether you have no ties to this region or you have deep ones, we really welcome you to this conversation. It's the first time on the show that I've had a chance, I think, to explore deeply identity in a way that is hugely personal, but where I think I have a lot of holes, a lot of gaps that I'm hoping that my friend will be gracious enough to help me think through and consider today. I think it's fair to start off by saying that we, you will probably not come away with all the answers to any of the issues that we're going to talk about because they're complex, they're ancient, they are continuing to evolve. But we do hope that today's conversation will give us all permission 
to ask questions, to lean in to family and friends that we have across borders and across ethnic groups and across communities, to have these really important conversations about yeah, where we are like, where we overlap, and maybe where those places are where we are still learning and growing and understanding each other. Is that a fair That's start? very fair. I'll push back just a little bit, Lily, and say, you know, there are not too many holes from your perspective <laughs> in terms of where you come at this. And that uh, I just also really want to thank you. We've talked about this for a long yeah, time, finding some time to sit yeah. down and talk about this. We obviously have great love for each other. Our families do, as yeah. do many people in Eritrea and Ethiopia for each other. Um, that shouldn't be come as a surprise to anybody, yeah. I think. Um, but you're right. I mean, I think that there's still a lot of misunderstanding. Uh, it is fraught for many people. Um, and I think it's one of those things where, as you say, this isn't about sort of ex uh, coming up with answers, but really right. providing space to sort of ask questions. The reason this, this conversation came up is that when Dr. Abby won the Nobel Peace Prize in October, we were actually vacationing together. Our families were together. And, you know, the, the text started coming in and Twitter and all that started to light up about the announcement. And my initial reaction was tremendous joy and excitement and, you know, texting all the cousins and we were talking with each other uh, and all that. The second then question or the sec um, second emotion maybe that came from me was huh, the Nobel Committee has this language around the border conflict with Eritrea. They acknowledge that that's a huge reason why he's being uh, awarded the Nobel. And of course, I, I wanted to lean into my Eritrean family. You guys are my family. Right. And so, and, and find out, did this land with you the same way it landed with me? So that's kind of how we said, yeah. let's take this from having our own conversations that we've been having for many years to maybe there's more to offer others by having this conversation in a public way, which is sure. what we're doing today. Right. So maybe we can start there, Mogus. Yeah. The news of the Nobel Prize, how did that land with you? What was your first you know reaction to that? Yeah, well, so thanks, Ali. But let, let me just first, before I say anything, just say, that truly from my heart, uh, as an Eritrean, but also somebody whose roots in Ethiopia feels very close to this, you know, the news of uh, Dr. Abi's award was tremendous. Yeah. And, you know, I think that well-meaning Eritreans across the world are happy for, for Ethiopia to do well, to rise, to find freedoms and to, for the young people to find a voice. Um, as many other things, it's just problematic, right? Yeah. It's it's difficult. And that sometimes things like awards and prizes uh, kind of gloss over some of the things that are not um, fully explored, I guess is one way to put it. So I want to just yeah, note that fair. I think that um, the initial reaction was one of fantastic, one of ours, Yenya, you know, Natana yes. uh, has won an award. And that means a lot. It means a lot for Ethiopia. It certainly means a lot for Eritrea. Um, I think one of the things that, uh, as an Eritrean, you always are forced to reflect on, and I'm going to go back a little bit to what you said Please. earlier about, you know, growing up and having one narrow view. And I think it's fair to say that for a number of Eritreans, particularly for myself, and I can only speak for myself, of, of course, course, right? Yeah. So I want to just make that super clear here. Yeah. I'm not trying to speak for anybody else, that there's this idea of understanding multiple narratives, right? I always knew growing up that there was an Eritrea, in Eritrea, where my parents came from, even though they were both born in Ethiopia, I always understood that I had uncles and family who were heavily involved in the struggle for independence in Eritrea. Um, but I had a lot of closeness with Ethiopian Ethiopian families. Yeah? And of course, at that at a young age, I didn't distinguish between Eritrea and Ethiopia. But you know, as we got towards the 90s and towards the end of the 90s, you begin to become more aware of these sort of um, dual narratives, if you will, right? And so for, I think, 
and, and not to make any presumptions, but I think for a lot of Ethiopians, there has been kind of one narrative, which is, right. this is a one way to think about it. And whereas I think Eritreans have had to tr struggle with uh, mm. thinking about independence and Eritrea, but yeah. also trying to figure out um, what it means to also um, uh, still feel connected to Ethiopia, still yeah. have a sense of, you know, of oneness with Ethiopia, which I think is important. Um, Let me just interject yeah, there, because sure. I, I think it's good to, to frame that both of us are in our early 40s, yeah, just yeah, so yeah, yeah, in yeah, context, because right, right, right. we've talked about how, depending on where you are in the generations, your view towards history is going to be different. Totally. If our parents are having this conversation, they may have a, a completely different yeah. take on it. it uh, our kids, right. you know, who are figuring out their identity in their own ways, yeah. also have a different view to this. So we are both products of growing up... Um, watching but also you very yeah. close to right. those events of the 90s yeah. and under, being able to understand that as a young adult you were you know late high school i was high in school, high school, school really yeah. this sort of awakening i'm using air quotes here for yeah. listeners but it was sort of awakening and understanding of what it meant for um a country to be fighting for independence and what um, self-determination meant um yeah. there's probably a lot of idealism back then yeah. as well but um yeah i think the timing and is very important and thanks for the point about age yeah. you know I forget that I don't sound. We don't know. We may not sound young. We might be young, but we may not sound should, young. Should we sound? Is it better to sound old or young? I don't know. But, yeah. I, I'll take it. I guess we got to live with what we got. Right, right. But I think I didn't answer your question. No, no, no. That's that? okay. But I just wanted just to clarify that yeah. for listeners that we are coming at it from our perspective of, you know, while you're watching these things happen from what I remember is kind of the earliest memory is the famine in Ethiopia in, yeah, in, the, in the mid eighties. Right. And those are the first images in yeah. the U S that I'm kind of seeing right. reflected back right. on an international stage. And that right. really gripped me. But then as these events are happening in the nineties, I don't have those, those memories, which is why I think it struck yeah. me that right. you started at that point to be able to parse out yes. your right. Eritrean identity from this shared Ethiopian connection right. and even identity in some ways you speak Amharic, you right. speak Tigrinya you know, and wrestling with... You Badly know, for you, so your listeners both, but yeah. Um, so so, so I guess let's, let's continue from that point. Yeah. You know, as you are, as things are happening in the 90s, and maybe we should, it's good to give context yeah. for what those events were that yeah. start to bring to the surface for you, okay, there is a difference between these families that I love and I'm connected to, and yet my own history, which is very Eritrean. Yeah, so what were those right. events that started to crystallize? So the you? events that really started to crystallize, well, one was <clears throat> increasing information coming out, like media information, right? So there was a very famous uh, video that began to circulate towards the end of the 90s. And I'm, I'm unclear, I'm hazy on the exact dates, but it was the fall, the fall of Masawa or the taking of Masawa, depending, okay. I suppose, on your perspective, <laughs> right? Sure. Um, what was really fascinating for me was that this video came to my attention. I'd heard of it through our Eritrean family and friends, many of whom were either in Sudan or in the diaspora, and who talked about the fact that the EPLF had successfully taken the port city of Masawa, which was an important, important achievement, um, you know, in terms of military, but also just in terms of the, the progress of that movement. Um, but the video actually came from a friend of mine's father, who got it from sources in Sudan. And that's my, my Irish friend who you okay, know. Okay, okay. And he came to school saying, I have this amazing video. And this is VHS. VHS. What's that video? Old school VHS tape. <laughs> right. And it was the, the fall of Masawa was on this, on this VHS label, right? Um, it was a pretty brutal video in many ways. And, uh, but what it did was it kind of lionized some of what, mm. you know, the stories that I had been hearing about Eritrea and the EPLF. And I got to just note that, you know, as these things start to come into more common discussion at the time, and people were talking about 
how close things are and, and the advances that air trains had made, I began to realize that all along there had been this discussion in my life yeah. and in my household, right? Mm-hmm. And that sort of brought, so I don't want to pretend that it all of a sudden came up because that would be a real disservice to my uncles and family members who were active invo- actively involved for people like my wife's parents who were really actively involved in supporting the movement and suffered a great deal as a result of that. Um, but for me, yeah. it really began to crystallize it and say, oh yeah, this has been there all along. And now look at it. This has kind of come into a sort of mainstream for me in my high school, with yeah. my friends at yeah. international school who were talking about this and, and sort of, you know, lifting it up as yeah. something that was um, impressive. And, you know, and, and, and it's not that we're not going to spend the whole podcast yeah. saying, okay, so what was I doing at that time? But, right. it, but it's interesting to me that my first exposure to Masawa came much, much later in an right. academic setting. It right. wasn't a personal story. It wasn't a, what's happening. It was an academic understanding of yeah. history, yeah. which I think you're right. When you mentioned earlier that Ethiopians, if you, if that's your only identity and you're navigating history from that from that that mm-hmm. vantage point, you are one identity, um, and you're moving through the world. Yeah. Whereas for you and for many Eritreans, you are balancing constantly too. And it reminds me of um, Langston Hughes' poem "I Am the Darker Brother," and yeah. he talks about I, I'm to America, but I'm navigating the same space, but in yeah. different ways. Yeah. And I think there's some it's parallels point, there to, right. to be made between Eritrea, Ethiopia, and then our shared history. But this yeah. this no, real move. Right. Yeah. So if, if we can keep with the Peace Prize and that kind of helping you and I as friends kind of yeah. continue to revisit this conversation. Right. Yeah. So I remember, you know, after those initial kind of text exchanges, we yeah. were, because um, at this point, I think we'd gotten back from holiday. We were now in our separate homes, but we continued to text. And I, what I thought was fascinating is I was texting with my cousins in Addis yeah. and everyone is excited, but there, there were some concerns and some reservations, but people were excited. You're also texting with your family across the world yeah. and there's different viewpoints coming in. Yeah. And while there was this excitement that, yes, our, our, our part of the world is recognized, you said something to me that I think gave me real pause, which was that if this is a prize to recognize peace yeah. and to recognize the ability to lead with peace, then we must also recognize the lives and the families and the communities that have sacrificed everything, yeah. their lives, their yeah. children, and in service of, you know, uh, independence, yeah. and then also ultimately, yeah. you know, never got to see what happened last year when the borders were reopened and the peace agreement was finally signed. Yeah. And I think that narrative didn't rise to the top for me as an Ethiopian. But for you, I guess let's work there and start there and continue to work sure. backwards yeah. in terms of if we're thinking now in 2019 about peace at the border or no yeah. war, no peace, right. as it's been framed often. For you, what does that mean? And what's missing maybe from that conversation? Yeah, I, so I, I have to think back a little bit. We had a, a couple of days of exchanges. Yeah. And I think a lot was said. But you picked up on something that is certainly true, which is that there was a different, I had a different reaction to it than yeah. a lot of people did. Um, and uh, I think a big part of it was this. The committee recognized uh, Dr. Abi for his efforts in reconciliation and peace, right? Yes. So I just want to just provide the perspective, and I'm not trying to defend it. I just want to provide the perspective of, of many Eritreans, which is that the border had been demarcated many, many years ago. Ethiopia had agreed to accept the outcome of that demarcation. And this is 1990, seven, eight, somewhere in there, yeah? So the, the, war, the, war, the war broke out, the border war over Badme, which was probably more than just a border post, you know, started in 98, 
people will argue, and I'm sure. not here to try and We're say. We're not trying it, to, yeah, right. define but, history, but but, to, but you know, yeah. it, it resulted in a, in an open conflict, which was uh, resulted in a cessation of hostilities and uh, an agreement in Algiers to to have a board, independent board commission demarcate the border. Yes. And that both parties agreed that they would accept the outcome of that demarcation. Exactly. Now, I'd have to go back and see. But the border demarcation, which eventually was conducted you know, in The Hague independently, uh, found that, in fact, that town, Badimate, that sparked this whole thing, was, in fact, inside Eritrea. Right. But and Ethiopia agreed to honor the outcome of that. But really didn't honor the outcome, right, of that, right? Right. And, and I think that there there could be many reasons why. Uh, it wasn't until I became into power that he said we are going to accept the outcome of this thing. Right. So one perspective, one way to think about this is, me and you have a fight, and let's say it's a stupid fight, but somebody comes in and says, "Hey, you know what? To resolve this thing, we need an outside arbiter. Mogus, you started this first. So you need to go back to your room and let Lily come out and then yeah. you can do this, right? Right. And then you say, uh, no, I'm, I, or I say, no, I'm just going to stay out here. You, you can't, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so you're, the refusal to accept the arbitration can't just be glossed over, right? Absolutely. So there's a part of this which is just like as an Eritrean who perpetually you tend to feel like you're a little bit ignored, a little bit stepped on. The award to the prime minister of Ethiopia for accepting this thing that some might argue, hey, man, you could have accepted that like 10 years ago and done a lot for Eritrea, kind of minimizes what it means to have lived in Eritrea, a country that's gone through a lot and suffered through a lot. Uh, and so here he's being lionized, rightfully so, but a little bit maybe at the expense of yeah. the long-suffering Eritreans, and that's not to defend the current regime. It's just to note that there was an existing agreement that, he, that Ethiopia, yeah. through him, finally stepped up to. Which is why I think it, it, we had talked about actually having this this podcast several times yeah, yeah, right before sure. the award came up and having a conversation. Right. Part of my motivation was because I didn't grow up with a lot of this narrative, so I want to understand from a relational point of view. I can yeah. look at it academically, and right. but I've always feel like that will li limit me a bit. Um, but why I think it's important that I, I revisit this award is that it's interesting. It's like this foreign entity, the Nobel mm -hmm. Committee, has yeah. defined exactly by their own definition what they'll award him for. Right. And the fact of the matter is, Dr. Abbey's done lots of other things that are are notable. For you know, sure. Freeing political prisoners, freeing right. the press. I mean, it's not without note the right. tremendous leadership he's shown and the places he's taking Ethiopia. And we all acknowledge that this is imperfect and right. that there's certainly a lot happening now that causes all of us deep concern. Right. But the language of that award, for you, immediately highlighted a missing something was the missing. The mission of, of what Eritrea did. Right. Exactly. Right. And I think that for me didn't ring a bell, which was another thing that just highlighted again our lived experience, exactly. our shared history. Yeah. Now this is where it kind of takes different roads. And, and right. some would even say maybe it's not so sh shared as we thought. Um, yeah, because, maybe. you know, this, well, this, this narrative about the greater Ethiopia continues to live on. And, right. you know, some of our text exchanges, which really got so long, yeah, 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 no. <laughs> was kind of revisiting some of the things that we've heard previous generations and maybe our own yeah. peers say right. that. Ethiopia, uh, Eritrea should have never left. It, should, it would have been better together. So now you've now you've introduced, I think, the thing that for me becomes really problematic. You know, you can look at one or two things in isolation. Yeah, that was not good. We wish that didn't happen. But I think it's tied up in this notion that for a lot of Ethiopians, there's this, well, we're all one anyway, right? Exactly. <clears throat> and I don't have an easy answer to that because yeah. in one sense, I feel like there is a oneness of our yeah. people, right, of the countries. 
certainly of the, the ethnic groups across the two borders. Um, but I really find it difficult sometimes when the answer to everything is, oh, we're all the same anyway, or yeah. you guys should never have left kind of thing, right? Right, right. Um, which I think is something that many Ethiopians would do well to explore a little bit more, right? And understand that, uh, you know, history takes different paths sometimes. But, but more importantly, what I think it does is it forces both sides into this uh, oppositional discussion around, why are you there and we're over here? As opposed to focusing on what is it that these two countries do together that binds them? Right. Economically, politically, culturally, right? Yeah. Because at the end of the day, most of those things don't get to, well, you have to be annexed in order to do that. No. You know, like these two countries should be thinking about how they create wealth for their people mm. together. Yeah. Right. I'm, uh, I think I talked to you about the fact that it's a really sensitive issue for sure. But Ethiopia is a country of over 100 million people, a landlocked country. At some point, Eritrea and Ethiopia will have to figure out how to talk with each other about what is a mutual way to come to terms around access, maritime access for Ethiopia. Right. It just doesn't make any sense politically, economically, in any other way for Eritrea not to sort of say, we want to have a meaningful discussion around that. Now, some will say they had that in 97 and that the other one side abrogated it and so on and so forth. All that to the side, I just had a high level, Lily. What I yeah. mean is, when do the two nations talk to each other at the table about, hey, for our common good, what do we do that builds these bonds together, right? right? And some of these things that are now oppositional, I think, fall away when you realize that there's a shared fate in how you build your economies together, how you tie each other to each other in terms of mutual defense. Ethiopia and Eritrea can do a great deal for the region in terms of stability and peace building, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and these are the things that are kind of being missed. So, um, so yes, it's true. I, you, as an Eritrean, you tend to react to things. And I think, you know, in seeing that thing, it did strike me that there was no recognition of Eritrea. Eritrea was kind of like the silent victim. Like everything was being done to Eritrea. Like Eritrea, you were bad. Eritrea, now you're good. And, and look what this great person did for you. And I think, you know, the, the reason I want to have this conversation is that I think that there aren't many, maybe this is an exaggeration, but it, it has felt that there's not always a safe space to, to talk across the yeah, aisle right. in a way, if we can yeah, say yeah, we're yeah, across yeah. the aisle. Right. Um, we're across, across the, the table right cup, now, right. across, across the coffee cup. cup. Exactly. Yeah. This is the safest place across coffee. Right. Um, but I think, you know, what you've laid out for us is kind of um, an understanding of the economies at, at both the potential and the risks that present themselves right. if we don't have an understanding. Sure. But I think what strikes me as our friendship has grown and in previous and, and other friends that I have that are Eritrean is the emotional part of it. Yeah. Because identity is emotional. It's sure. personal. For it sure. runs deep. You right. know, it's, it, it affects all of your choices about what you name your children, yeah. what yeah. your chosen language will be or won't be. And so I think this is where as I think about my identity as an Ethiopian in relation to you as an Eritrean, I think one thing our friendship has taught me is that I have to recognize the privilege that comes with being Ethiopian in these academic spaces. You know, mm -hmm. our conversation might be emotional and personal, but then it translates to how I understand world events. It translates into how I frame my understanding of Eritrea. And, you know, I've had these instances where I've been with Eritrean friends, Ethiopians, and there's the whole, you don't speak Amharic? thing yeah. so we can talk about you know colonization right. with language and how right. that right. boils down yeah. but as you have gone through and you continually have friends who are ethiopians and who and you know family yeah. all that right what's one thing that you feel like outside of just the academic understanding of our history is missing from our conversations what are those things that are not said and that are assumed that we would do well to understand that's a really good question uh, you know 
I think in some ways we talked about the fact that people, where people come from in terms of their age and their experience plays a lot into this, right? Um, I would venture to say that a lot of the younger Eritreans and Ethiopians might be in a better position to be more pragmatic about things. And I want to just emphasize that word for a little bit, because I think that we talk about identity and it becomes very emotional. And I recognize that it gets very emotional for me. I was, am still very tied up in the in Eritrean national identity and what it means, how hard fought it was, uh, what it means to be an Eritrean, which is distinct, I feel like, from being an Ethiopian, right? Um, but at the same time, there's a part of me that really wants us to focus on being pragmatic. Like these are two countries that suffer from extreme poverty, right? <laughs> with the, with human capital that you know, in the case of Eritrea, it's tragic is is leaving the country in in sort of droves. And I think the real discussion should be one of what what is reasonable for the two countries and for young people to think, understand from each other that these are shared assets that these are you know things that the countries can do together to build partnership uh, i'm not talking about federation or union and i you know i say this to you really because mm. if there are some Eritreans who are listening to this they're going to say oh this guy is talking about he's a federalist he's, mm. that's not at all the case right um, if you go back in history and think about how initially it was constructed there was always the notion that the two countries would be very close um, and I think that a look forward is the way to go because there's so much pain, there's so much, uh, you know, uh, revision that happens, um, obviously, when you look backwards, but there's so much sort of blaming that you can do very easy. And I, I feel like sometimes even in this, the, by nature of this discussion, you begin to sort of say, well, you don't understand where I came from. Right. And in fact, maybe what we should really be doing is talking about, can you imagine what we could be? together you know mm. and that's a, the greater region as a whole too in many yeah. ways but certainly for Eritrea and Ethiopia um, so yeah I think that one simple thing that I'd offer is for people to think you know if I'm saying for an, an Ethiopian friend or family member to say when you say oh we're all one anyway that anyway is has a, a bit of a jab to it, you know, yeah. and, and and understand, seek to understand why it has a jab to it. It's not because I don't feel oneness or, or closeness, you know, or proximity, yeah. closeness to, a, to to somebody from Ethiopia or an Ethiopian. It's because there's a history and there's a part of what's gone into Eritrean identity that I think is important. So you say we're we're all one anyway. Nah, you know, no, because there was an act, there was a real move of self determination. It was a war, man. Yeah. It was a thirty year war. People died. died. People yeah. were dispersed around the world, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, people have given their life to a movement that created an independent state. Now, that state is one that is, like in many other states, uh, challenged and is struggling to to find its, its way and its voice. But it will. Yeah. I'm I'm fairly confident of that. Um, but it's not either or. It's just be a little bit aware of what you say when you say world. We're all one anyway. What do you mean by that? Yeah. yeah. Uh, we, I was having a conversation with my kids recently about yeah. um, my, my seventh grader is doing a project around exploration and history. And so her siblings all rallied around and said, what country are you going to pick? Because they yeah. had to pick a country. Right. And of yeah. course, they're saying, pick Ethiopia. She's like, I don't want to do Ethiopia. We always do that. And then her brother, one of her brothers said, you know, do the Battle of Adwa. Focus yeah, on that, you yeah. know, because that's, you know, that was a turning point. Everyone in yeah. Africa feels proud of that right, moment. Right. And I, it made me wonder if that was kind of the last time we could look back and feel like there was this oneness in a sense. And I'm not a student of history yeah, to be able to speak to right. the thousands of years before yeah. that. But something shifted at the Battle of Adwa. There was, right? Yeah, yeah. Help me yeah. along here, Morgan. At that right. point, yeah, we yeah, did. You're right. Now yeah. we are Ethiopia and we've, we've fought off the 
the Italians and there's a sense of, you know, yes, we were kind of, we didn't always come up north and see you right. guys, but now we, Manilik has right. brought us all together and, and we're one country. And then it kind of exists in that way for several more decades. Well, I think, uh, yes, I think you're right. But I, I think what's also important to note there is that, you know, the Battle of Adua is where the Italians were stopped. Yes. Right? And so they didn't go further south. Right. But north of that is what is effectively Eritrea today. And so you have now at that point created this sort of two timelines of a country that was a largely feudal you know, state. Yeah. And so now what is the Italian portion of what was Ethiopia proceeds on a very different track, right? And the impacts of World War I and World War II on Eritrea as an Italian colony are vastly different from what Ethiopia went through. Um, the forced labor of Eritreans by colonial power, the forced conscription of Eritreans by colonial power, in many cases, the forced conscription of Eritreans who were forced to fight against an Ethiopian that they felt one with. Yeah. And then were punished afterwards, right? So this is really an important thing that a lot of people don't talk about, in my view. The idea that there were Eritreans who were forced to fight against Ethiopia by the Italians. And at the end of that, the action that the Ethiopians understandably took against those that they called traitors was to lop off limbs, right? Not that any of them wanted to do this, right? Right. And despite that, the number of Eritreans who I think, including, you know, people like my grandfather and others, who felt a closeness with Ethiopia, who moved to Addis Ababa, who worked with, you know, uh, Ethiopians and lived in Ethiopia and felt very much a part of Ethiopia. Because at the time, to be part of what was an Italian colony in the north was a, a tragic, terrible, painful thing. And they mm. felt much, clo much closer to Ethiopia. But Eritrea did, was proceeding on a very different trajectory. Um, and, and there's a lot of research and, and that, that will speak to that and books that speak to that. And I, I won't attempt to go into that, but very, very different. You know, a parliamentary, effectively a parliamentary system that was being developed in the 30s, labor unions that were being put into place, uh, a very, very different trajectory, right? And so when you think about where Eritrea was at yeah. after World War II and when Haile, the emperor decided to effectively re-annex it and sort yeah. of say, you know, forget this federation nonsense, yeah. you're, you're part of us, um, that they're, you're talking about a very different northern you know, part of Ethiopia, if you will, at that point than you would have found pre Yeah, two generations yeah, of people exactly. in the meantime, exactly. too. Right. Yeah. And I think without that digging, I mean, you do have to go far back to understand, then how does that inform how we understand, how I, as an Ethiopian, now understand what happened, why Eritrea was... Yeah. was a separate entity, why right. the, the move for, you know, independence was so important because they had, like you said, yeah. at that point, the, the, the two paths did diverge and there yeah. was right. a different struggle. There was a different um, aspiration. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and so then to say that anyway, to go back to that comment, right. we're just right. one anyway, yeah. becomes now very um, yeah. difficult. Yeah, yeah, difficult. Yeah, it's very difficult. Um, and then I think, you know, you can't overlook the importance of what, 30 years of war. I think um, mm. I'm getting my dates wrong here, but you know, the, the first shots of uh, the independence struggle in the late 60s in, in Eritrea um, up until 1991. So think about that. There were children, families, you know, born, yeah. raised in the field, in the struggle. I mean, you, you know this from yeah. our own family and stories yeah. that you've heard. Uh, but the formate, the fight for an independent Eritrea is as much a part of the national identity uh, and maybe even more so than was the original reason for the split, which was really 
in yeah, some ways a colonial right, position, right, right. but you can't overlook that. And it's not enough to say yeah. you were only fighting for that because somebody else forced that on you. Yeah. Well, it was still 30 years of our existence and, you, and people formed very, very strong identities with what it meant to be Eritrea, to fight against um, a Russian-backed Ethiopian military that was bombing villages. Right. I mean, tragic, tragic stuff. Right? Yeah. If we revisit your words about looking forward, yeah. what are the things then that you would hope the next announcement, maybe it's not a Nobel Peace Prize, maybe it's another <laughs> kind of headline internationally that right. comes up. Right. What are the things that you want us as Ethiopians, your cousins, your friends, your family, to ha- to have in mind, you know, I yeah. think, and how, and it seems silly to say, how can we be an ally? I don't want to make it like such an American no, that's a really good point of view to this, no. but I think you you have sensitized me. I've changed the, the, my word choice yeah. because of what I've learned from you and from your family. And so, yeah, no, I think it's a really good question, Lily, and thank you for asking it, quite frankly. I mean, I think that, um, you know, the dividends from, I'm going to choose my words carefully here, okay? Absolutely. Um, the dividends of this openness that Dr. Abby has brought are not yet seen in Eritrea. And I, I think there's reason for hope in Eritrea, but it really requires that, um, in my view, and this again, this is just my just view. You, absolutely. This is just my Two view. Two friends and a cup of coffee. Absolutely. That's all it is. Um, that the type of change that Eritrea needs is the type that will best be achieved, I think, uh, by recognition by the government, that there's an opportunity for change, right? So an openness from inside, not one that's brought externally by the gun. And so I know, having lived there for years and still knowing a lot of people in government and out, that there are people with great intentions and hope for Eritrea who would like to see a way forward where there is incentives for, uh, you know, I guess for young people to stay, that's a, it's a, that's a substantial issue. I mean, the government may not want to acknowledge it, but it's a substantial issue. When your productive workforce is voting with its feet, um, you know, something is up. At the right? cost of their lives, yeah. At the cost of their lives, at the cost of, you know, uh, the number of them who have opted for the chance of being somewhere else and ended up at the bottom of the Mediterranean, as opposed to staying there, should, should speak dividends. That said, and so I, there are a lot of very, very angry voices in the diaspora. Mm. that are calling for sort of you know, change, big-time immediate change. And I understand where those are coming from. My concern with that is, and I go back to this word about pragmatism, how do you actually get sort of change that is a gradual, the change with guardrails, right, with training mm. wheels? Because that's what we need. And I, I dare say that Ethiopia might need some of that as well, right? That change is good, but help us to do it in a way that is managed and that you know, comes, comes across slowly. So what can Ethiopians do? Well, I think a lot of this is, um, I think for one thing, the opening of the border initially, now closed, but the ability of Ethiopians to go to Eritrea, to visit, is important. I think it should be taken advantage of because it will reinforce bonds across these two countries, right? So that's one thing that I hope will happen. How can we do better, I guess? How can we understand or show compassion in our language and and our behavior? Uh, and you said visit. Yeah, the, so visit, I, I think the, the, the visit, place. the visitation. You know, like uh, the fact that uh, Ethiopians can travel and Eritreans can go. I think to Ethiopia. Um, that's something that people should do. I mean, there is a bond that you know just comes with interpersonal interaction that I think is important. Um, there is certainly shared culture that people can celebrate too, right? And I think you know, if you go on Twitter, for example, you'll often see you know I don't know pick an event like you know. 
some Eritrean or some Ethiopian musician or hip hop artist or something like that. And you'll often find a lot of young Ethiopians and Eritreans, you know, tweeting something and putting the two flags with each other, right? Yeah. I and sort of this, the Havisha pride or, you know. Um, so I think some of those things are also important. Uh, I think, you know, you, you have to be a little bit careful sometimes when you talk about Habasha because that, and I think we, you and yeah, I talked that, about this even before. Even that term is not as inclusive as, it's not as, as inclusive. I thought it was, right, yeah, right. which is um, continue to learn. Yeah, so things are more problematic than we think sometimes. But that's not to say that that's not still healthy, right? The Absolutely. Fact, right, that that's that's the like thing. Pride. Right. I think we, yeah. both of our cultures also have this um, kind of aversion to conflict in yeah. terms of interpersonal. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so we sure. don't talk about these things. We don't ask the questions. We don't put ourselves. And I, it's really yeah. to the credit of patient uh, Eritrean friends who right. have taken the time to teach me because I've played that role in the U.S. where I have to teach non-Black right. people about <clears throat> my right. experience, which is exhausting. So I really do appreciate, don't take for granted, those friends who have taken time just to walk me through yeah. their experiences like you're doing today graciously on the show. Right. But I think, you know, that Twitter thing is, is a good example. I mean, I think it's good to follow people who have different viewpoints than you on Twitter. So even totally. something as small as that. Without trolling. Without trolling. No, just for yeah. the purpose of learning. Yeah, what yeah. is the viewpoint that I miss, you know? Right. It's just a mm. good, smart thing to do if you're truly interested in yeah. understanding. Yeah. Right. So the social media age, I think, is 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 uh, instructive in some of the things that we can do. And and maybe more importantly, some things that we should not do. Yeah. So what I tend to see a lot, and maybe you see the same, is... Uh, even within like the Eritrean community and diaspora, just sort of attacking, attacking, attacking. If you say something pro-government or if you say something anti-government, you immediately attract the sort of really virulent uh, uh, voices of others who are like, you're a dog. I mean, it's really yeah. violent, yeah. vulgar, vulgar stuff. Um, so how do you like just kind of creating this aspect of this tolerance within our own yeah. sort of groups? Like, so... If I'm on a, a thread and somebody says this, am I in a position to say, hey, you know, I, I see what you mean, but this person is just trying to say, no, that sounds really cheesy. Well, as I say no, it out no, loud. No, but, no, no, but I know what you're saying. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But I, I think that's, so that's what, I mean, I think that we, there are some things that we can do that kind of um, ask, I think part of what you're doing right now is part of it, right? Mm. When you ask, when somebody says something to sort of say, well, have you considered this, right? Uh, so actually, I have a really good, and Lily, I love this about you, that you've got really close Eritrean friends, really close Ethiopian friends, and you ask questions, right? But it puts you in a unique position when somebody says something, and I know you're probably going to have conversations with people who are close to you yeah. that may not be right where you are at this point, but you're going to have the opportunity to say, well, you know, I have really close Eritrean friends who've explained it to me this way, right? And you're you're demonstrating, I think, the ability to have those conversations without attacking yeah absolutely and i think for me it's all it's that personal connection we can argue whether a policy makes yeah, sense or right. whether or not you know the nobel got it right in their language right. choice but i think at the end of the day it's it's the relationship that matters yeah. and i think we lose something if we just default to the narrative we grew up with yeah. if, we, if we default to even even just facts if we just default to facts i mean right. we could easily say the rulers of XY countries are terrible. Yeah. Okay, sure, it might be fact, but what do we miss in that narrative? You know, that's important. And yeah. um, I feel like this is conversation one. I imagine we'll have many more we over time. Right. Right. I think one thing we've talked about a lot is even our own kids and how are they going to take this forward? What is the next generation of thinkers, writers, artists, yeah. representatives of our culture is going right. to do with this history and how right. they take it forward and what role can we play? So thank you for the coffee.
No, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> thank Can you I add one time, last thing? Please, of course. So one last uh, uh, one thing that I definitely think that we could all have a bit more of is levity, right? Mm. Like, I'd love to see like some, <laughs> some comedy comedian. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, like who's got the like better shudo, right? Yes. Like, because you know, there are we know our shudo is the is the bomb, wait, right? Wait, wait. So you see, you see, you see. Have you tried metad shudo? See what we don't do in our trade is put meat in our shudo. That's not meat. Metad is like no. I'm talking about like bozina shudo, impurity. So like that's right. I'm joking, but I think that's part of it. I like this idea. I think we could sponsor something in Nairobi here, a Shuro Fest. Totally. I mean, if you think about countries that are close to each other, that might have a different relationship, but but often a lot of it is vented through sort of this comic release, right? Where they make fun of each other a little bit and they take jabs at each other, you know. Then I think some of it is also, it's like everyone relax also a little bit. Like, let's... Let's have a little bit little of bit, levity. Absolutely. Right uh, so just to recap, yeah. for those of you like, okay, where do I, where does this, what do I do? What's one thing I can do? You yeah. can, if, you, if you're in a position, visit. As mm-hmm. a matter if you're in a position too. Secondly, you can educate yourself, mm-hmm. be it through following somebody on Twitter, reading a book. Yeah. I mean, all of you Ethiopians who have never read even, you know, a history book about Ethiopia's history or Eritrean Ethiopian history or the history of the Horn of Africa, by all means, there are yeah. actually very good historical texts that we should pick up and talking to all of us. All of yeah, us can yeah. do more Everybody. to read. And Eritreans as well, understand. by the way, yeah. right? To understand yeah. better. Understand other perspective. And I right. think you're right. Have some levity and, and take, be courageous, ask some questions when you don't understand. I'll never forget being in a bathroom one time. You know, when you're in the diaspora, when you're outside of your home country, if you see somebody who looks like you, it's a point of like comfort. You're like, yeah, oh, they right. might, especially for me who didn't yeah. grow up in DC or LA. And I remember one time seeing somebody, I don't remember what city I was in. And I did that, you know, cautious, awkward, making eye contact. Oh, yeah, you know, I know. They, they, yeah. Look, you know, they make Ethiopian, <laughs> they could be. And at that time, that's the only thing I thought they could be. And I said, you know, Habashana. I said, Habashanishway, something like that. You know, are you Ethiopian? And um, very sharply, she was like, I am not. I'm Eritrean. And no. we were in a bathroom. Yeah. And she like, shut off the water, slammed oh. the door, walked out. And for, I don't blame her. Yeah. I am sure I was oh. the 10,000th person to ask I her know. that. I know. But I, I think what, what woke me up just to say, okay, I have to learn. I have to do better. Because that to me was a reflection of her experience that I did not have. Yeah. Had somebody asked me, are you Eritrean? I would have like, oh, kind of. I would yeah, say, you know, right, kind right, of, yeah, I'm yeah. Ethiopian, close enough. But maybe I you're not burdened with some exactly. of that. Right. Exactly. It's the privilege of not having to navigate those two worlds right. and those two narratives. Right. And so I think we can all do a little bit more to understand. And I think, you know, yeah. um, this conversation, like I said, I think is one of many, but I'm really grateful that beyond this conversation that you've had patience with me to talk with oh, me through really, many, many times about no, helping you. me to understand and sharing your story and sharing your life, Mogasier. I'm so grateful thanks, for you. Thanks, Lily. I appreciate many, many it. Ways, so Have thanks. we enjoyed our coffee? We've enjoyed. We've enjoyed. Cheers. Chin, chin, cheers. All right. Tabarik. Thank you, Lily. Thanks for listening, everyone. I would love to hear what you thought about this episode. Maybe you disagree. Maybe you have another perspective. Tweet at me. Let me know your thoughts. You can reach me on Twitter at Uproot and Lil. And on Facebook and Instagram, it's at Uproot the Podcast. I would love to hear from you. And if you will indulge me, I want to make a quick pitch for you to join me next week for my live recording to celebrate the one-year anniversary of Uproot. So excited. I can't believe that we've made it to the end of 2019 and also to the end of my first year in podcasting. 19 episodes, all thanks to you. I am so grateful for each and every one of you. Not all 19 episodes are out yet, but they will be before the end of the calendar year. And we've got a great lineup for the last few episodes. But I would love to see you next week at Trademark Hotel, 
Wednesday, December 11th. Doors open at 6. Come early, get a seat. We've got some fun stuff planned. We've got cupcakes planned and some other cool surprises. You can get tickets on MOOC. So that's MOOC, M-O-O-K-H dot com. Tickets are a thousand shillings. I'm really grateful that Trademark has sponsored this event um, and it's in Village Market. So you can shop, you can eat, you can enjoy the beautiful lights and come listen into the conversation. We are going to be talking about understanding identity through language, religion, and race. That three friends who are willing to share their stories and it's just going to be good. You don't want to miss it. Wednesday, December 11th at Trademark Hotel in Village Market. And if you're a really big podcasting head, you can join me the night before at the Unconference on podcasting. It's going to be at K1 Clubhouse. That's Wednesday, December the 10th, starting at seven o'clock. And I'll be helping to moderate the evening. We're going to be talking about diaspora issues and it's going to be a dynamic lineup. Don't miss it. That's a free event. You just need to register. So register at Eventbrite and come join us on December 10th at K1 Clubhouse. All right, y'all. As our dear, wonderful Wangari Mathai says, you have to keep at it until it becomes rooted. And these kind of conversations certainly are helping me understand my identity and rooting me more deeply to those I love. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.